0: Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of the body of Christ that you have called and redeemed a people to um, yourself and that uh, you're continuing to grow them and us into the image of Jesus. We pray that we would be um, attentive today as we take up the subject of Reformed theology, a topical interlude between the um, our book studies, and we pray that you give us wisdom and uh, compassion and kindness, and um, that you would help us in our thinking. That we would think rightly based upon what your word is revealed, and not what we feel, and not what our opinions are, but what does the word say? And so we we pray for for good minds today. We pray for hearts that are stirred by the beauty of your grace and. Um, the confidence that we can have in your power and your work in the hearts of those who have called upon the name of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. Um, We finished Acts last week, and I do plan uh, to start Numbers later this year because I I love picking up books that, um, that kill a class. And so that's, we did Leviticus. We survived with three of us. And then uh, Acts. I'm just kidding. No, we're, we're, I, I plan on doing that. I want to I press through to the end of Deuteronomy before I die. So we'll, we'll try to pick up numbers later this year. But I thought it would be good uh, to do a short seven to eight week series on the doctrines of grace. Um, also called Calvinism for short historical reference. Uh, and the reason I wanted to do it, it was just, we've never done it, um, and we're, we, we tout ourselves as a Reformed Baptist Church, but I don't think we've ever gone through, systematically, um, what that means. What, what are, what, what's the historical background of Reformed theology? What's rest- the, the, the definition of Calvinism? And so my plan is to provide sort of a short introduction today, lay out a definition Lay out some bad definitions, uh, and then give a nod toward history. I want to delve a little bit more deeply in history next week, and then uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit why I'm a Calvinist, and, uh, and then I have some books that I want to recommend for you to add to your library. So uh, I read a lot, and I know you guys do too, and, and, I, and I listen, and I, and I try to press my head through Scripture and hear what other teachers have to say, and one of the best talks or series I've seen on this topic was one done by John Piper. And he starts with a series of assumptions that he comes to the study uh, with. And I, and I think that that's helpful. And so I wanna sort of do that as well. Here are the assumptions that I'm, I'm going in uh, to this discussion with. And it's a reminder to us that as we, can, as we go through something that can be um, very emotionally charged, we need to be grounded in what we're striving for and where we are. Um, the first thing is that uh, the statement, and you're going to love this, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 says this, The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. And I bring this out for the simple fact to say, I'm not infallible. Okay? Philip is not infallible. John Calvin is not infallible. We hold to the Scripture as being infallible. And so we test everything against what the Word of God says. There are people who will disagree with me over this that I still believe are brothers in Christ and who also have a high view of Scripture. Uh, like it says in the Baptist faith, and message. So one of the things I want us to be conscious of when we have this discussion among ourselves and among other people is that we come to the text humbly, okay? It's the Bible that trumps everything, right? Okay, here's the point number two. First of all, Bible is inerrant, sole judge of everything. Number two, Christianity is a thinking man's religion. I've said this, since the beginning it 's a thinking man 's religion, and right thinking about what God has revealed about himself and mankind and salvation really does matter. This is not some ivory tower discussion; it really matters what we believe about how we 're saved affects how we view the world around us, how we view um, our own security and salvation and i 'll get to that in a little bit how we view the church. What, what value we place upon the people of God, the body of Christ, <laughs> how, we, how we value God's working in the world and the chaos around us. Do we have, can we trust Him with the chaos that's around us? How we view missions, big topic there for those who hold the Reformed theology. One of the pot shots they have is Calvinism kills missions. Well, we'll, we'll discuss that historically if that's a true statement. Um, bad theology is dishonoring to God and is detrimental to the souls of people. You find churches that sever themselves from the root of Scripture. They may look Christian for a while. They will die eventually. And we see that. They'll cease to be Christian or they'll die. And and you see that happening in some of the mainstream Protestant denominations now. Um, Once we can go willy-nilly on our feelings and whatever and not, not tethered to what God has revealed about himself, you got a whole host of craziness that happens, and it's not biblical. Um, number three, the work of the Holy Spirit is essential for grasping the truth of Scripture. The pursuit of His work in prayer is essential for grasping the, the truth of Scripture. And see what I've, I've already laid out the issue, right? The work of the Holy Spirit is essential in, dra- in grasping Scripture. Pursuit of His work in prayer is essential God's work, man's work. And they're both essential to understanding what Scripture says. And I don't, I don't mean just intellectually understand. I mean, I mean in being invested in it. There are lots of atheists who understand what the, what the words mean. But having your heart ignited by it is a work both of the Holy Spirit and it's the heart of the human praying, work in me. Right? It's, it's the both and of that part of it. Um, We work because He is working in us. Isn't that what Philippians says? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for, because it is God who works in you according to His good pleasure. It's the both and. And so, which one is necessary? Yes. They're both necessary. God does not work apart from the means that He has laid out for that work to happen. And the work that He has is prayer. For us, Now, we can talk about, does He move people to pray? Absolutely, He does, but He still pray. Um, all right, we can talk about that another time. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 13, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There's that ability language. You see that again and again when we talk about these things. uh, Paul and and Peter talking about it in terms of ability of a human person in their natural setting, whether or not they can grasp spiritual truths. And it's because of the work of the Spirit that we grasp anything. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. All right, number four. Thinking is essential for grasping biblical truth. 1 Corinthians 14 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. 2 Timothy 2 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And again, you see the tension. We're commanded to think, for the Lord will give you understanding. Think. Because thinking is a gift to the one who's thinking; it's a gift from God. Think because gift is a gift to think. Uh, thinking is a gift to thinkers, right? It's God's work to give us the ability to think through these things, and yet we're commanded to to, to think. Um, all right. Number five, Christ, and I'm doing. There's just five assumptions. Read into that what you will, Christ. Christ, as Lord of the church, has ordained that there be teachers in the church to help the body grasp and apply the truth of Scripture. They're not infallible. We've already made that point. But every Christian must go to the pure fountain of the Word of God. Test all teachers, whether it's Augustine, Calvin, Luther, on down to some schmuck who teaches weekly, or weekly, however you want to spell that word, on Sunday mornings. All right. Uh, Ephesians 4 and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. In Hebrews 13, it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Now, notice the massive implication there for teachers. I don't take these things lightly. I don't think any teacher in this church takes these, take these things lightly. I don't think the elders take it lightly. I don't think Philip takes it lightly. We don't do this as purely an intellectual exercise. Uh, My goal, at the pleasure of the elders, is to try to equip you to live and die in the joy and awe of Christ, His glory, and His gospel. And at Sylvania, and many of you know this, you're not required to hold to this to be a member. You're not required to be a Calvinist to be a member at Sylvania. But, to be a leader, to teach, or to be an elder, you are. There is a common agreement among the leadership of the church that they hold to this understanding of salvation, and it's taught this way. There are areas of disagreement, even among the leaders of the church, over this stuff, but they're not, they're not core disagreements. They're just, how should we talk about it? How should it be expressed? Um, But the teachers and elders are held to agreement with these with these doctrines. All right. That's the background. That's the assumption. Any any questions on what I've said so far? Hey, that light just came on. It was brightened. Any 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 questions on what I've just said? No. Okay. Uh, The room being silent, I will continue. All right. So the term Calvinism. What does that mean? Uh, Well, it depends on who you talk to. (laughs) It's it's well known, the term is well known inside and out of Christian circles um, And there's just a real um, richness of ignorance around what that means Uh, It it is amazing to me that some people, including both um, Christians and non-Christians Reject it outright without knowing what it is uh, others call themselves Calvinists without knowing what it is and and many times their explanations Just feed the fodder for people who are rejecting it. And it's just a wonderful beautiful thing uh, Of intellectual headbanging that you do when you talk to people who have been through that experience. It's frustrating So this is a controversial topic in most circles um, when you have you know an abundance of ignorance about a topic and, and, and have it equally yoked with emotional charged stuff, it just makes it from, for some, some firework. It makes great Facebook discussions have come from this kind of nonsense. Um, and so you've got hot tempers let loose on both sides. And, uh, and so here's some incorrect definitions and descriptions of Calvinism. And I'm using the term Calvinism because you know some people shy away, well, it's loaded and people do I, I embrace it entirely. Uh, because it's a historical term, and it means something, and I think words should mean something, and I refuse to give up words that actually mean something because somebody else wants to define them wrongly. So here's some bad terms, uh, bad definitions, or bad descriptions. Number one, it is the teaching that God won't save a man if he isn't one of the elect, even if he repents and believes the same as one who is elect. You heard that? I I want to put my head through a wall when I hear that. That is not what it is, okay? Here's another another definition or description. It teaches that Christians should not evangelize the lost. Also incorrect. It teaches that God is an unloving tyrant and the author and approver of sin. Clearly not what we teach. All right. It it teaches infant baptism. As a Baptist, I, I get a little... Twitchy over this, it teaches infant baptism and therefore salvation by water rather than Christ's blood. Um, number five, another another description that is false. It is a certain form of church government, namely Presbyterianism. It's th- this is not Baptist. It's not Baptistic. We can't do that because we're Baptist. Why are you doing? Why are you into Reformed theology? Because it's not Baptist. Bad descriptions. Bad definitions. Um, uh, let's start here. All Christians have certain things that they agree to, right? Calvinists confirm core doctrines of the of the Christian faith. Jesus is God. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived. He died. He was buried. He was raised. Right? Um, he's coming again. <laughs> we, we affirm those core principles of Christianity. Um, and there are different shades of Calvinists. There are different people that, that, that have different ways of understanding this stuff. But the differences between those guys and, say, an Arminian, and we'll get to what that means here in a minute. I've got to throw out terms or else we'll never get started. Um, uh, someone who doesn't hold to this, or, or, or a Lutheran, or a, a Methodist, or one of those it's, it's a greater difference between those guys and the differences in, among Calvinists. I mean, the disagreement I may have with. With another elder in the church over how we talk about it is a is a lot less difference than I would have with a Methodist on a great many things Um, is a bigger difference and take that to the pseudo Christian groups I mean that my discussion my differences I may have with with somebody over Calvinism is a is a lot smaller than I would have with 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 a Mormon you know a pseudo Christian kind of thing or a Muslim which is a Gnostic heresy Um, so it's, it's different, or even a non-Christian. So you see that there are grades of differences. And, and it's not something that, that, uh, that particularly uh, vexes me if I have a, dis- a discussion with another Calvinist how that's different. That doesn't bother me as much as it does uh, with, with, a, um, with a Mormon on what is the gospel. Um, Calvinism didn't start with John Calvin. And so it bears his name by accident. He would rather have been buried without a marker and not remembered. But here he is, causing controversy even, you know, 500 years later. Um, for starters, the doctrines of grace this is another word for Calvinism. Is the doctrines of grace working off of the sola gratia, the the second uh, doctrine of uh, Reformed, uh, the Reformation by grace alone. Um, Doctrines of grace are explicitly stated in the Bible. And we're going to get to each one of those as we go through this series. As as we go through the five points, we'll talk about the biblical basis for each of them. Um, There are usually uh, some studies that, that show that there are implicit references to these doctrines in the early church, in the church fathers, 100 to 600 A.D. But they're not explicit until you get to Augustine or Augustine. Have lunch with Philip, and he'll give you a whole dissertation on how we should pronounce Augustine's name. Just make sure you
1: water your Saint Augustine grass.
0: Yes, that's right. Or you drive south and go to Palestine. Anyway, um, it's been said that Augustinianism is basically pre-Calvinism. Okay, and uh, the other way to say it is that Calvinism is distilled and. Uh, a purification of Augustinianism. So, I mean, however, it, it it comes from that branch, that understanding. So, after Augustine, Augustine, uh, this understanding was further developed in the Middle Ages by guys like Prosper of Aquitaine. Isn't that a great name? It's almost as good as Shy of Lynn, but it, it, no. Prosper of Aquitaine, and Gottschalk is another guy in the Middle Ages who also was more explicit and and, and worked through Augustinianism. Uh, then it lay kind of fairly dormant until you get to like John Huss, and and then ultimately Luther, oddly enough, was one who who trumpeted Augustinianism uh, for the Reformation, and then you get Calvin and his followers uh, that refined it even further. The original Lutherans and the Calvinists actually agreed they were in lockstep with one another the differences were the emphasis luther for obvious reasons really emphasized justification by faith alone i mean he it was kind of his his thing that was his big aha moment was we're saved by faith not by works and so he emphasized that issue and his followers emphasized that issue with calvin it was an emphasis that it's Big God was Calvin's thing. And it was by grace alone that we're saved. And it's to the glory of God alone that we're saved. And so they all held to uh, these doctrines and these understandings of the human heart and how God works, but there were different emphases based upon the battles that they were fighting in their circles. Um, so you, you see this kind of separation that happens between Calvinists and Lutherans because of the emphases they had it gets more exaggerated over time, but at the beginning they agreed on all these things. Um, neither Augustine, Luther, or Calvin made up these doctrines; they discovered them from the scriptures. All right, so let's define it. Now I'm going to say this, and I don't want it to be inflammatory for those of you who do not agree with this, but some people actually argue that Calvinism is nothing more and nothing less. Than the gospel. Okay? Now, I don't like saying it that way. And the reason I don't like saying it that way is because it has the overt implication that if you don't agree with Calvinism, then you're probably not a Christian because you don't believe the gospel. And I think that loads it way too much. The way I like to describe it, I heard it described, and I think this is a good way to do it, is to say that when we talk about Calvinism, we're talking about consistent Christianity. And, and, that's, and that's, if I'm talking with someone about the doctrines of grace and they're like free will this, free will that, well, let's talk about consistency and how we understand the gospel. Um, and that tends to be, uh, uh, if you have somebody who's willing to reason, uh, a, a reasonable way to do it. So uh, someone would respond, I follow Christ, not Calvin. I, I, my JC is Jesus Christ, not John Calvin. You've heard that one. Uh, and and I, I agree with that. I don't follow Calvin. I, I, you know 1 Corinthians chapter 1, good place to start. I'm not, not apostle not Paul, not Peter, but Christ, you know. I get that. Uh, and, and, I, and I hope you would too. We don't blindly follow a man. But I also look to 1 Corinthians 11:1 it says, "Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And to the extent that Calvin imitates Jesus, to the extent that Calvin is rightly reflecting, who Christ is and what he's done, I'm going to follow that. I'm going to be part of that. Um, Andrew Fuller, a, a Baptist, and a modern missions father, said this, I do not believe everything that Calvin taught, nor anything because he taught it. But I reckon strict Calvinism to be my own system because it was the truest to Scripture. All right, so definition. The definition of Calvinism. Commonly called the five points, the five points of Calvinism. And you probably, some of you recite them in your sleep. Uh, total depravity, maybe total inability be another way to do it. Um, and we'll talk about what that means. It's a big loaded term, people pour all kinds of meaning into it. We'll talk about that means uh, later on. Uh, um, unconditional election, <laughs> that's a fun one. Uh, unconditional election, uh, limited atonement or definite atonement. Christ came to actually accomplish something when He died. It didn't make a possibility. He he came to actually accomplish something. Irresistible grace, the Holy Spirit's work. If He wants to convert a man, He changes the heart and the the eyes are open, and it's irresistible. Um, And perseverance or preservation of the saints. And we're going to go through each one of these and the biblical support for each as we move forward. My goal also is to address uh, common texts that are used to object to these points so I want to kind of go through some of those alright why I'm a Calvinist with all that background uh, I grew up in a charismatic uh, non-denominational chandelier swinging dancing tongue-talking Lakewood Church, wannabe, little congregation of about 1,000 people in Alvin, Texas. That's where I grew up. Uh, I, I went to school there, and uh, uh, that's just, I had never heard of John Calvin in growing up. The, I, anytime I heard about Baptists, it was in derision. Well, at least we got it better than the Baptists. We're free, right? Why aren't you dancing? We're free, you know. Uh, that's, that's what I grew up in. Um, my introduction into what I came to understand as Calvinism or Reformed theology was in the absolute providence of God accidental. Um, I haven't seen it, but I hear that there's a scene in Les Mis, maybe it's the opening scene, where Hugh Jackman is walking through the sewers of Paris, covered head to toe in the gunk of a thousand generations. And just his eyes are showed. I don't. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Have seen I have not. But I love Greatest Showman. Um, I haven't seen Miz. But he, the gunk of a thousand generations. All right. So it, that's where I was spiritually at one point. Um, I had made a profession of faith. I'd been dunked at least twice. I mean, you gotta make it count, right? Um, I spoke in tongues. Uh, I went on mission trips. Uh, we went door-to-door evangelism. We would uh, do all kinds of stuff. Um, I played in the church praise band. I led the church youth group. And I lost my mind in college. Absolutely lost my mind. I, uh, my very superficial understanding of, of faith, of Christ, of who He is and what He had done, uh, my superficial Understanding of the Bible and what it meant to be a Christian ran headlong into my Sociology 101 class. And I had a very activist, atheist kind of professor who challenged, and then of course my, also my, my History of the World class did the same thing, challenged my understanding of reality and the world around me. And can I believe these things? Uh, you know, and he would attack Christianity every day, and it seeped in. I didn't have, I didn't have any grounding To push back I had no um, I hadn't been intellectually challenged with scripture Uh, it was all an emotional thing and that's what uh, and that's what I took into those classes fast forward by God's grace I got married to a a solid believer who had no business dating me Uh, Tammy and I are not poster children for missionary dating don't you ever do it Uh, it is a bad idea in God's grace He brought this little fireball Baptist into my life and we got married because I'm a good talker. (laughs) Best lawyer I ever did. Side show right here. Best lawyer I ever did. She was ready to break up with me because I'm a jack wagon. And she said, I'm done with you. It's been three months. And I'm, you know, I showed up to her apartment with a pint of cookie dough ice cream, Bluebell ice cream, right? And I get on one knee and I start talking in a very squeaky voice, you know. Oh, you no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> uh, and and you know, yeah, you I didn't. What? No, I'm not doing it. Okay. Uh, anyway, so I go. I did this whole thing and I talked to her in this voice, and and her friends are around her and they're like, "What is going on?" Well, she, I think, either out of embarrassment or was moved, said, "Okay, let's go. Let's go." And so we went on. We went out some more. And and we we and the rest is um is legendary so so there it is he brought her into my life and so i had the pseudo-christianity because i married a christian girl right but inside i cleaned up but i'm real wrestling i'm still wrestling with am i still in the faith i remember what i did in college i remember where i hated christ i hated his gospel i hated the church I talked a talk around the people I needed to talk the talk, but it really, it, I hated the hypocrisy of it, especially my own, right? And uh, just lost my mind. Um, somewhere along the lines, I don't know where, but I'd I taken to the notion that even one who is truly saved could lose their salvation. They could go so far that God would say, bye, right? And in the dark recesses of the night, I was convinced he had said bye. But I still, I still had an affection for Christ. I still had affection for the Bible. I, just, I was covered in Paris gunk. And I knew that. And I'd gone through you know, periods of, of lost and saved several, several times because I didn't feel saved. Right? I didn't feel... The 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 warmth that I should of being in the grace of God, I felt the gunk, and uh, especially after I had sinned, I I you know would 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 just be in this. I don't I don't I know where I'm going. I'm going to I'm convinced I'm going to hell. Like I'm not saved. He, he's, I've gone too far. I've passed the grace of God kind of thing. So out of duty after we were married, I went with Tammy to a uh, <laughs> to a small group study with some friends on Exodus. We're in the book of Exodus, right? And we get to chapter 4, where God tells Moses, I'm a, and I'm doing, the, I'm doing the, uh, the Holman Christian Bible version, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, right? That's the translation that, you know with the contractions in the Holman Christian standard. Uh, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Before he even meets Pharaoh, before he even goes there, God tells Moses, I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And that just sent me over the moon. And I remember in that group, I got mad, I got really angry. I didn't care about Pharaoh, but the implication is: is he hardening mine? Right? Has he done that to me? Have I been pushed out and I'm now damned because of what God has done to me? Is that why I'm struggling in this area? And so my my exploration of the doctrine of salvation, how we're saved. Uh, I now see uh, began at the end of tulip. Most of the smart people go through total depravity, right? They go through how bad are we? How bad does God? I mean, how much do we need God to start us from? How bad? I got how bad we are. I was covered in Paris gunk, so I I, I started it from the end. Perseverance of the saints, or preservation of the saints, some people call it. And the reason I did is because I didn't want to start down this road knowing that I was going to fail and fall out again. I don't like roller coasters. What confidence could I have in salvation? Because I'd already blown it. I'd already messed it up. What confidence could I have? Uh, So my concern with these issues was not intellectual. It was pastoral, of my own heart. It was life or death to me. And I didn't study Calvin. I had no idea who Calvin was. I studied Scripture. And I found that Unless God has done a work in me, I wouldn't even be asking these questions. And that was the thing that just sparked in me, I need to study this further. Uh, I read the words of Jesus in John 6. Verse 37, which says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And then the part that warmed my heart was, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. But where does it start? The Father gives to Jesus those who come. And He's not going to refuse a gift from His Father, right? The other in in verse 44 says, No one can, there's that ability language, No one can come to me. I've got to do this way. Tammy's going to get me started. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Right? And that draw there, that word, means like drawing water out of a well and they did it old school they didn't have a motor or, or a robot to do it they had a, a a a a a winch and you had to pick it up out of the out of the uh, out of the well with with a rope or with some kind of winch it's hard work to do it. And he's talking about God doing the hard work of driving, grabbing somebody who's unwilling, who cannot come, who won't come, who hasn't the will to come, and making them come to Jesus. Not necessarily kicking and screaming, as some would argue, but it's a reversal of what their natural inclination is to do. Suddenly, a lion wants to eat vegetables instead of meat. Right? That, it's against the will. It's against the nature. And then... Based on that drawing, Jesus says, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's confidence there. If he's drawing, if there's a coming to Jesus, if there's a love for him, even though I'm covered in Paris gunk, he'll raise me up. Do you see? So my, my, my battle with this was not intellectual ivory retire. Let's go, let's go smoke cigars and sip wine. It was, I got to know what this means. Because I, I've got to have confidence that this is even worth pressing forward on. So my com- my coming, my wrestling uh, with a basis of, uh, of trust in Christ is nothing short of a miraculous work of God's Holy Spirit in my own heart. And whoever comes, even though they're covered in Paris gunk, he will never cast out. And some have described um, this coming to believe these doctrines as being born again again. You've heard that and I think there's certainly emotionally that I get that statement and, and I believe that that working through you know a tough bit of theology um, does wonders for the heart toward God. He's big. He's much bigger than any of us will, will understand. Um, and, and getting a glimpse of what he's revealed about himself. Has had, an, has had the effect on me of reinforcing that I can trust, trust Him in the midst of chaos. And life brings chaos. We've had it in our lives, lots of chaos, but we can trust Him. And, and I will tell you, understanding how big God is, or getting a glimpse of it at least, in, in understanding how He saved us, helps with that. Um... All right, even though there are five petals to the tulip, it is just one flower, and the flower is this, the sovereignty of God in all things. So it was later, when I had a nagging interest in church history, that I discovered uh, Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, and that led me to Augustine, Augustine, however, um, and Spurgeon. And then there was R.C. Sproul's great book, chosen by God which which was a uh, very helpful in formulating how I think about about these things. And so as we go through this, I want you to think and uh, challenge and pound on the text as Luther talks about justification by faith. Pound on the text about seeing and, and see if these things are true. Even if you already believe them. Pound on the text. Is it true? Um and I mentioned R.C. Sproul's "Chosen by God." I certainly recommend that to you. I want to, I want to maybe um, point you to some other books that are that have been helpful to me, that I hope would be helpful to you as you uh, as you study through this. First of all, um, the challenge that uh, being a Calvinist and being a Baptist is not traditional, which is a I find to be a repugnant and ridiculous statement. There's a great book called by his grace and for his glory by tom nettles tom tom is a professor at southern seminary Um, i I will tell you he's not the most electrifying writer but it's great stuff it's good history on uh baptist life and what early baptists believed about uh, about these things and what the effect that it had on men who spearheaded really the modern missions movement uh, another another book that I highly recommend is really not so much the book, but the introduction of the Death of Death of the of the Death of Christ by John Owen. The introduction was written by J.I. Packer, and it is a classic essay on what is Calvinism, the history of it, and everything. It's a good good read. Uh, Packer is uh, very engaging. <laughs> so uh, the other I would recommend is as a little book called The Five Points of Calvinism. By uh, David Steele, Curtis Thomas, and Lance Quinn. It's a great book. It's historical, uh, brief. It's an easy read, and it helps. It helps. Uh, helps kind of get your mind around what are the issues. It's good stuff. And then the final one I would recommend is Calvinism, Hyper Calvinism, and Arminianism. And we're going to talk about those terms next time. If you don't know what Arminian is? It's not a country. Uh, it's with the I. Arminian is with that. It's, it's 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 a mode of thinking that was uh, patterned after, followed after a man named Arminius in uh, in Holland, and we'll get into that next time. We'll kind of go through the history of that. But I recommend those to you, and I and I want you know not that any of those guys are are infallible. They're they're not. they they are things that I have questions on. Some of the things I say, go to Scripture first, and we'll kind of walk through. Uh, The the passages that I would recommend that if you want to go through this study uh, that you would read would be John 6, John 10, uh, Ephesians 1 and 2, always good. Um, Romans, Romans? (laughs) (laughs) Especially 8, 9, and 10, for that matter, because there's means uh, arguments there. And there are others that that we'll go through, but I just want to commend that to you. Anyway, this is a very... Ten thousand feet overview, flying over this, and, and I hope to be more, uh, we'll be more thorough in the history and what the doctrines are, as we go through it. But anyway, any questions? Questions? Anybody ever wrestled through this before? Anybody here does not hold to this? Good. Come on, stand up, be proud. It's okay. I, yeah, I figured most of us in here are going to be. You know, very much uh, in the reform camp. But I don't know how many of us have done just a thorough study of it. And, uh, and so I want us not to do it by adoption because our parents uh, or our families or whatever have, have done this. But I want us to, to know it and be able to articulate what we believe and why. So, anyway.
1: And, uh, like why why people get so hung up on like why people have such a problem with it? And I think it has to do, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. One is that they don't think the your salvation is genuine if God chose you. Yeah. It's not real love. Yeah. So your love has to be like free. Yeah. And I just um, it's just silly to think about. Because you said uh, God is so big in salvation. Well, I just think about you didn't exist. Before God created you. Mm-hmm. Like the atoms that make up your body just didn't exist until God spoke them into existence. Right. So, like to think that you have some kind of autonomy that you can offer to God that's like outside of His control is just silly. Yeah. And like your brain works on atoms moving around, and that's where your emotions and feelings come from. So it's just silly to think that you have some kind of love that's outside of God's control that you can offer to Him. Yeah. As some kind of like.
0: And I think, and I think one of the issues there too. And we'll talk about this more depth as we get into the whole free will thing. But one of the one of the issues there too is a lot of a lot of people that argue against God working in the heart prior to salvation will say freedom counts. You can't be loved without freedom, you know. If, if it's if you love it, set it free or whatever. It's like a bird in a cage or whatever. So th- they'll argue that you've got to be free. And yet, in the same breath, they'll say once you're in, yeah. you can't escape. So
1: then you're conv-
0: then you you, you're conv- you so yeah. which is more free, prior to Christ or after Christ? <laughs> yeah. Or do we have our definition of freedom screwed up? Yeah. Which is and generally and case. The
1: whole idea of free love and I love you. Like, my this 60s. is something I'm offering. Well, not just the 60s. But no. I mean,
0: it's Probably 1560, Pro- but. Uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> a, point, the idea of love, like plants, a lot come to save, right? Right. Or whoever. It's like that's how much you need to love God. Like, yeah. It's just that is, is silly
0: and. <clears throat> one of the one of the clearest, I think, uh, verses. Just just a verse, not to mention passages, but just a <clears throat> verse that we have is when Nathaniel memorized when he was three because everything happened when he was three and four. And it was First uh, John 4.19, he would say, we love because he first loved Gus. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, we always want to know who Gus was.
1: There's no love outside of God.
0: We are derivative. Yeah. We are creatures he's he creator. Right, of, you know, right. So we'll get into those, we'll get into those objections. But Go ahead.
1: This is a harping topic, isn't it? The other argument against that um, thing that you just said is like the Bible uses the analogy of physical birth in relation to spiritual birth. And so saying that it's not genuine um, unless we choose it. We didn't choose to be born physically. So that would say, oh, now that we're born physically, we're not a genuine human being. Right. Because we didn't choose to be born physically.
0: Well, we'll 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 have those discussions uh, on down the road, but uh, but yeah. So let's uh, let's pray, and then we'll be done. And I think Scott has something for us. Uh, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the great confidence that we can have in your work in the heart, and that because you have worked and are working in us, uh, you've called us to be working to make our calling and our election sure. To um, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Lord, it's a, it's a, a hard thing to grasp that um, you're the primary mover here. Uh, but we thank you that we can trust that because we want to know Jesus, because we are um, concerned with who He is and where we are in relation to Him, that those very questions... Uh, indicate to us a a comfort level that your Holy Spirit is working in us. Because apart from you, uh, we have no faith. But apart from you, we can do nothing. And so the fact that our minds are going there, that our hearts are going there, is a great encouragement and a comfort to us that we're yours. And so I pray that you continue to um, excite that in us and to draw our hearts closer to the beauty and majesty and glory of the work of Christ who died... Uh, for a purpose not a possibility. We thank you for these things in his name. Amen. Right. Good Morning
1: everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I won't take too much of your time here. So, um